0: Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. I'm your host, Brittany Melton.
1: And I'm your co-host, Laura Muñoz.
0: And we're here today with Alex Prime. Alex is a MA student in Media Studies. Thank you for being here, Alex. Thank you
2: so much for having me.
0: We're so happy to have you. Uh, Alex, I'm going to jump right in with our first question. So I want to just start right off. What's your research about? What do you focus on?
1: Um, so
2: I'm really broadly speaking interested in queer books and all of the wonderful, different differing forms that those kind of stories, narratives, queer lives, how they show up in print basically. Um, more specifically for this MA, I'm looking at two indigenous queer novels. Uh, the first is called A History of My Brief Body by Billy Ray Belcourt, and the second is called Johnny Appleseed by Joshua Whitehead, and that book just won Can Reads last year, which is super exciting. Well deserved. So I'm looking to these texts to try to parse out what alternatives and answers they might have to chrononormativity and homonormativity. So when we're talking about chrononormativity, we're talking about the tendency for dominant narratives to describe a certain life path for us. So, you know, like the most typical narrative in dominant or like mainstream stories will be someone maybe going to school, they're probably middle-class, they're probably white, they're probably straight. That's not important for chrononormativity. What we're talking about is the way that this individual will go to school, they'll find one single life partner, enter into a monogamous relationship, get married, reproduce, uh, retire, and then die. (laughs) So chrononormativity is pretty much that story. And um, we're looking at these novels for how their main characters avoid that story. And then in terms of homonormativity, that is queer couples tendency under capitalism to adopt those, that sort of heteronormative way of living often in order to gain like respectability or sometimes unconsciously there's like a myriad of reasons why a queer couple might want to follow a typical life path but what i'm looking at in my research is what alternatives are there to that so how can we avoid chrononormativity and how can we avoid homonormativity and how can we carve out queer more radical less more anti-capitalist spaces and ways of living.
1: That's very interesting, but uh, the first que- question that comes to mind is how did you select the novels that you are going to study? Because I can figure that there will be like a, a big literature, like a big set of books tr- uh, treating these type of, of topics that I think are super important, but how do you decide which ones do you want to read and you want to analyze?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question um it's actually the answer is kind of personal and might not be like generalizable but the reason i came to these books is because i'm a part of a book club based out of toronto called gay rights with the w um you should follow them on instagram their memes are hilarious um but basically every month we talk about a book and uh, after being in this book club for over a year and also like a covid year where Being able to see people even on Zoom felt so radical. These two books, when we read them as a group, it felt like the conversations we could have about them were really about envisioning and imagining what we could actually do in our everyday lives to live a little bit differently. And so I guess just, I mean, the answer isn't anything like scientific, but it it was the feeling that came from those discussions of these books. And it's a feeling that's like so rare, but so juicy when you feel it, that like you just had to do it. And also just, I loved reading these books. And I really do believe that if you are researching something that you really, really, really love, it's gonna come through and it'll make reading my work a lot less dry (laughs) than someone writing about something that they didn't really love.
0: Absolutely. Actually, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that. So when you're talking about indigiqueer literature, what are we talking about? What does that category kind of entail?
2: Yeah, okay. This is a great question. I, I believe the term indigiqueer started gaining popularity when Joshua Whitehead wrote his first collection of poetry. It's called Full Metal Indigiqueer. But obviously that wasn't like the beginning of Indigenous people being queer. They have always been queer. And um, yeah, the reason I came to Indigenous queer literature, especially as like a white student, is because to me as a reader, these felt like the stories that were filled with the most answers and the most potential for change and for envisioning something completely different. And I felt like Uh, In our Indigenizing Methods class, we talk a lot about reframing and about how important it is to reframe. You know, the study of indigenous peoples as like the most studied group of peoples on Earth and reframe looking at things like what historically has been called like the indigenous problem or like seeing indigenous work, people and like all of the myriad ways that these varying cultures have contributed to research as a problem and looking instead looking at these pieces of incredible art as where our solutions lie and where we should all be paying attention to. So yeah, for me, I also, there hasn't I haven't seen any research on these two books yet. Um, so that really excited me. And I also just feel like I talk about this a lot Um, this idea of low theory. It's um, a term talked about it by Jack Halberstam in his book, The Queer Art of Failure. And low theory is kind of the idea that everybody participates in intellectual activity the same way that everybody cooks and cleans without necessarily being a chef or a tailor. And when we look to these versions of theory that aren't like littered with academic jargon that are understandable across disciplines that are understandable to like my mom who like, you know, or like my my dad who like never graduated high school can like read a text like this and come to understand a little bit of the emotion that comes with this um, area of interest. I think that that's really important, so
0: yeah. <laughs> So instead of being stories of, of just simply trauma and feeling left out, we can reframe and see how these can be stories of hope and beauty and, and inclusion. Um, I think that's really beautiful. And I think that I agree. I feel I'm sure that your compassion comes through both in your work and just the way you speak about doing your work.
1: Yeah, I was actually thinking about like how oh, which differences have you noticed or and like for their Their own. I will wonder if you have any idea of why these things might be different. Like, of course, indigenous people will have like a different understanding of many things that maybe could be different for white people, as much as Latin American people also think their own ways. Right? Like, we all have our difference. So I was wondering, um, so far, which differences have you noted that are uh, valuable to you? and if you have any idea of why these m- differences might exist that is a really good
2: question and also like the question i'm going to have to answer <laughs> when i really start getting into this research um i don't think i have an answer yet that i would be like confident enough sharing just because i haven't actually started doing the I've read both of the books, but I haven't started reading like the supplementary like academic stuff that's gonna be like my framework. I will just say that it isn't necessarily about the specific alternatives that might be represented in in this book. It's more about the fact of alternatives existing at all. Um, and when Joshua Whitehead actually came to our book club meeting on his book and something that he said, which like went directly into my application to come back to school, is that queerness is inherently an opportunity because queer people, when we come out, when we realize our difference from our our normative straight peers, we immediately have the opportunity to begin acting as curators for our own life so the queer life is the curated life where you get to like kind of pick and choose what serves you from the dominant narrative because you're already starting from a position of difference so instead of seeing that difference where like oh I can't you know I'm not gonna reproduce in the typical way or like I maybe not or some places like still can't get married so like those like normative structures aren't necessarily in place for queer people, but rather than seeing that, as, again, it's reframing, rather than seeing that as a negative thing, you see that as an advantage and an opportunity to create to a life that is truly yours.
0: Absolutely, um, on, on that topic, I'm kind of curious, Alex, I know you do a lot of reading. Do you have any <laughs> recommendations for us? If we wanted to get into even just queer lit or indigi queer lit, What would you be, what would you be recommending for us and potentially at a more general level?
2: Well, in DigiQueer, I would recommend the two books I'm writing my dissertation on a hundred percent. I think in general, as you know, Brittany, I'm very interested in queer science fiction because I think that if we're working on the project of envisioning and talking about what an alternative future could look like. Science fiction is a really good place to start with that. So I love To Be Taught If Fortunate by Becky Chambers. It's a novella, it's really short. So if you're not super into reading, you could probably still knock it out in an afternoon. I love, um, this is not science fiction, but probably one of the best books I read last year was called Detransition Baby by Tori Peters. It's so good and it's her debut and it's just so delightful. Um, and it will probably, there will, even if you have grappled with gender before, it'll still kind of fuck up your conception of gender because it's just got so much nuance in it and so much creativity. Um, and one more that I would recommend is pretty much anything by Ocean Wong. Um, but particularly on Earth, we're briefly gorgeous. It's just like very poetic and just like stunning, stunning writing. And all of those are just not academic books, so there's there shouldn't be any jargon that you'd have to stumble over.
1: <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, thank you for those recommendations. I'm definitely will have a look know <laughs> uh, I'm wondering more more like into the methodology because I I'm from the from more like a science background so I am wondering how's your approach to this like uh, I see that you have to read a lot which is awesome but like I guess uh, the approximation to the books will be different when you read it for pleasure than when you read it for the academic um, part of your of your life right so um, I, I guess like my my question is how how do you how do you write a dissertation in uh, literature like how do you read those books and how does it work to try to answer a question from these specific type of books
2: yeah that is a that's a really good question that's something i'm trying to figure out myself (laughs) Um, i think what my supervisor and i are working on now is creating a framework using a bunch of academic theory. And so like exploring what the theory says on chrononormativity and homonormativity, exploring what the theory says about queerness and indigeneity and how those things intersect. And then take that almost like a literature review, even though the whole thing is obviously kind of like a literature review, take that initial academic jargon full, framework and then perform a close reading of both of the texts using that framework so it'll be a lot of it's almost like a case study if you think about it like the first chunk will be here's all the theory about this and then the second chunk will be like here's how this theory looks in these books and the places where it kind of rears its head
0: and Alex I'm kind of curious what do you what do you envision your final product looking like? Because I can imagine when we're talking about low theory and we're talking about, you know, avoiding jargon that potentially you may be looking at creative um, exports for your final for your final MA, is it an MRP or a thesis?
2: It's called an, yeah, it's an IRP, but I think that's the same an as an MRP. I think okay, so- it's just independent research project. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, Had I not already done an MA that was almost entirely practical, I I did an MA in creative writing in Sterling, Scotland. And so I wrote a collection of short stories and it basically is like my version of the stuff that I'm now doing in this MA, only this one, that was like a practical, this is how you write, like this is how you talk to agents. You know very hands-on degree this one I'm trying to actually just lean into the research side of things and then hopefully at the PhD level I'll be able to merge those two sweet sweet research babies (laughs) into one interesting project and I would love to use I've been thinking a lot about research creation and creative presentation of theory so the answer to that is yes (laughs) soon.
1: I love it that's so cool and I feel like what you're doing is like bigger than we can imagine because somehow you're like just exploring a different way ways of living (laughs) and like at the end your thesis is going to kind of be a proposal like these are other ways to um to explore your life it doesn't have to be like this exactly uh so I was wondering if you because you say that oh, it's going to be this this final product, but it could easily be a book. <laughs> or, like, I don't know, something that is more accessible to people because it's really hard to find things that you can connect with that, like, relieve some pressure of you of not following what we've learned or what is normal to be. <laughs> so I was wondering if you will be interested in that, like, and creating a book or something more like more for the public and not as much for the academic public
2: yeah of course i would love that
0: <laughs> if you know any publishers let me know any agents <laughs> so with that kind of idea of a creative expert uh export like a book Alex, I'm kind of wondering what keeps bringing you back to queer lit? So you said you wrote about it and, and you and you quite literally produced it for your last MA and now you're back again, looking at the more theoretical side of things and studying it um, in, in the form of things that are already created. So what keeps bringing you back?
2: I'll be honest with you, it's a very simple answer. It's just the thing that keeps me going. Like it gives my life meaning It's the first time I ever, the first time I ever felt seen in the world was reading Audre Lorde's Zami, a new spelling of my name and reading, there's a very tender and beautiful sex scene in that between two women. And I was like, that is exactly how I felt the first time I had had sex with another woman. It was just like feeling so seen in a way that I had never felt seen by any other book or any other medium ever before. I hadn't heard stories. I grew up in a small town. I'd never heard a single story before that had lesbians in it. And yeah, I just felt like I was reading it way too late. And this was probably like four years ago. And ever since then, I've just been like, if there's anything I'm going to dedicate my life to, it's going to be championing this kind of
1: writing. I love that. That's so beautiful. Yeah, that's amazing. So like after, after, have you ever thought about what's next for you, next for you after your master's? Like now you know what makes you feel passion and excite, excitement. So do you have like a, a, a path <laughs> that you have discovered or <laughs> thought about or many paths or I don't know, what What do you see for for your future? Um, yeah, uh, I think
2: definitely I would really like to do a PhD. I think I should really be in English. <laughs> if you had noticed, I'm super into books. <laughs> um, I just came back to FIMS because I love the faculty and was familiar with them because I was in FIMS in my undergrad. But I think for the next big chunk of research, it's gonna it's gonna be English, and I think it's gonna be a PhD because I also love teaching and having conversations like this, and I feel like these kinds of conversations, like when you're just talking to your friends about what you're learning and thinking about, those are the conversations that actually stick with you and actually have the potential to change, you know, people's things that are big, people's life paths, people's sexuality. (laughs) Not that like I'm trying to change everyone's sexuality. I just want more of these stories told and I don't know that just, informal reading or just formal lectures are the way i think it's going to be some hybrid of those two things and i think that like teaching and staying in academia but also keeping keeping my heart with low theory is the best path for that but that's just what i think right now it could change in a week who knows
0: (laughs) i love that be open to the change who knows where it might go but also (laughs) Alex for any like queer undergrads or 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 non-queer and they're considering maybe doing grad school what would you be what would you give them as advice if they were considering doing some sort of i don't know MA into you, you did creative writing and now you're in media studies what would be your advice to those kids
2: tough question <laughs> I would probably just say don't be afraid to be the queer one in the room because a lot of the times you're not as alone as you
1: think you are. Great advice. (laughs) I also wanted to ask, uh, I don't want to, I, I don't want you to leave before asking you this. Can you give us like just a synopsis or like an overview of the book? Because I'm very curious, like we've talked about how you're using this book to. To you know, discover new paths, and I'm like, okay, I need to know what this is about. So can you give us just <laughs> a video without the spoilers, of course, if you can. <laughs> or maybe some spoilers, but
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is like the toughest question yet because it's hard to give a good synopsis of like I picture both of these as very genre genre queer books. like neither one of them fits neatly in a category, which, I think is kind of a strong suit of any book. If it's between genres, it probably slaps. <laughs> That's just my opinion. Um, <laughs> I So Johnny Appleseed is about a young queer and his life in Edmonton, I think. Um, and he's in and out of sex work. Um, he's interacting with his memories of his kukum which is his grandma and coming into his two-spiritedness so there's questions of love there's questions of work and there's questions of family and I think that's the best I can do without spoiling anything <laughs> and then Billy Ray Belcourt's book is a it's more non-fiction it's it says a memoir on the front, but there's definitely a lot of play with genre in it. And so it's like a collection of essays. So there's, you know, there's a lot of different essays in there. There's like a text conversation between him and a partner. I believe I haven't, I read it like a year ago and I haven't revisited it yet. Um, and there's an essay, about the Colton Bushi trial. Uh, it's I, I, been a while. <laughs> no, it's
1: okay. It sounds, it sounds interesting. And if you find that there were some answers there that will help you, that sounds like something to really check.
0: Yeah, and most importantly, like you said, genre bending. And so it's not going to neatly fit into a single category and that's okay which does make it hard to describe in a few sentences to us who have not read these books.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's tough. All I can say is just read them.
0: (laughs) They're really good. (laughs) And Alex, on that note, I want to come back to these book clubs that you're in, because you mentioned one, but I do believe that you're in upwards of how many is it now? Six? Three?
2: Oh, six. That would be, it's three pending one more, but I was supposed to start but i just haven't been because of school
0: (laughs) yes i need to know where do you get the time
2: (laughs) i make the time people ask me to hang out and i'm like sorry i have to read a novel tonight
0: And so what are the current categories of book clubs that you're in right now? Because you said you're in three pending a fourth. So what are the yes. three that you're currently in? You said gay rights is the first.
2: Gay rights is the first. And we read exclusively queer content. Um, although we're thinking of doing like a gay rights after dark and doing fight club. <laughs> because it's very homoerotic. And Chuck is fight apparently club? gay. Reading and then doing a screening. Sometimes we do gay reels where it's like (laughs) screening. And then I'm in one with a bunch of people from my MA where we write and and read once a month. So we like send in writing to each other and then also read a book. And usually there's no category really for that one. It's just like whatever feels right. (laughs) And then I'm in one with my work buddies. I work at a cafe down the road. And I've gotten them, they're now reading Johnny Appleseed. And then finally, I took a class on queer sci-fi last semester and we're hoping to start up a book club where we do just queer sci-fi, hopefully with the prof too. (laughs) I'm obsessed
0: with that. That's so great. Um, Alex, we're almost out of time. And so my last question for you is, do you have any social media and would you be willing to plug the social media? Because I'm sure that you're keeping up on all the cool queer lit you're reading and probably also cute little pictures of, of Katya who is Alex's <laughs> cat who's made a couple of appearances. Alex, plug, plug away. Um, I
2: would say number one is to add me on Goodreads where I think my name is just alex.prong and it's the same for Instagram as well. And you'll know you found me if you see an image of Zoidberg from Futurama. He's my display picture.
0: I love it. And it feels very appropriate that it would be Goodreads. Absolutely. I can't believe I don't have you. I'm going to go add you right after this. <laughs> okay, well, Alex, it's been amazing to have you truly. Laura, I think we learned a lot today. Um, and I think that that's everything I have to ask. Laura, do you have anything else?
1: No, just uh, really thank you for being here. And I, I have a lot of readings to do now.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, with that, this has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Brittany Melton, and my co-host was Laura mignos binana We've been speaking with Alex Prong, and this episode was produced by Laura mignos Biñana. If you would like to get involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at GradCastRadio. To listen to us, we're on Radio Western 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Alternatively, select episodes have been uploaded to YouTube at Gradcast Radio. Thank you for listening and have a great night.